It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. All right, let's pick up with our first and 10, first segment, and we got 10 observations from that 45-15 loss to the Dolphins. Number three. Terry McLaurin didn't forget how to play football. And it's interesting hearing some of the commentary of, oh, he's overrated, he was never that good, blah, blah, blah. Terry McLaurin is a really freaking good football player, and I've already been exchanging some film clips with Logan. Like, there's opportunities in this game where he just doesn't get the football. He does what he's supposed to. Or other people get in his way, like John Dotson. Uh, there's one play I was looking at that I think Terry could have gotten a look if he could have been faster into his route, but John Dotson is slow off his release out of a, out of a bunch, and he's kind of in Terry's way. And so what's Terry supposed to do? Run him over? Like, no, that's going to make it slower for the both of them. So he kind of skips, hops, and, and releases behind Jahan. But by then, the offensive line, which we'll get to, is giving up a pressure, and Sam can't get the ball to Terry. Like, there are opportunities in this game. There's no feasible way that he should have three targets and no catches. He's too good for that. And, of course, some of that is on him. But it goes back to what I talked about with Biennemi, where do you believe in getting your best players the football and having that win you football games? Because if you do, you find ways. Screens. He is an excellent slant runner. That can't be that hard to get him isolated, whether it's as an outside receiver or, God forbid, you move him into the slot. I mean, look at what Mike McDaniel did yesterday on that first Tyreek Hill touchdown. He created a man-to-man matchup of Tyreek Hill on Quan Martin man-to-man with no safety help. Don't tell me it can't be done. It's like, hey, it's third down. They, they, there's a good chance they're going to play man here. Let's find out. Okay, cool. Let's move A-Chain outside. Uh, oh, Jamin Davis followed him. That's man-to-man. By the way, A-Chain smoked Davis on that. Jamin got lucky. The ball went the other way. Not lucky as a team because the other way was to Tyree Kill with no safety help because the safety was helping to the running back on linebacker side. But that happens, one, because you get Tyreek matched up against uh, your nickel corner. It happened to be Quan on that particular one, um, a rookie nickel corner. And they do it out of the slot, so there's more room to work, right? A slot fade is way easier. One, you have a two-way go, so you can either beat your guy inside and then box him to the outside, or you can get a clean release outside and there's more space to throw it. So it's a, it's a more ideal throw, and you're just operating in acres of space. Why can't they do that stuff with McLaren? There's there's no good reason. And so it just it drives me bananas some of the stuff about Terry. And obviously he's got this incredible quote after the game where he's like, yeah, I got some good cardio in out there. But some of this is on Sam and decision making. Some of this is on Eric and design flaw. Some of this is on other people getting in the way, not running the right routes. And some of it is on Terry, not performing up to the level that he would certainly hope. But at the same time, like, if I'm, as a human being, I have empathy for Terry because you're having the worst season of your career with this guy that was supposed to turn you into an all-pro. And, like, that's got to be hard to to mentally keep plowing forward. And you're not going to have a rhythm. You're not going to feel in the game in the same way. It's not like he's not playing hard. Um, But, God, what a tough day at work for Terry McLaurin yesterday. Number four. Continuing on this, like, things Eric perhaps could be more creative with uh, train. 
and in ways that this offense probably could have been better and helped itself and, and helped the defense, which is not good. Um, all that stuff. What if they had like a, a run game with Sam Howell? You know, you watch Sam yesterday, and this kid is so special off schedule. He's so special as a runner. Like, not in the way Lamar Jackson is special as a runner, but he just picks up big plays and like he's tough and he's elusive and he sets up blocks he sees the field extremely well as a runner when he gets out into space so why not use that like you're you're struggling to find things that work that create rhythm that help him feel in the game so you found quick game for a while and by the way your run game is actually been pretty efficient but most of that is just because you're subverting expectations and no one ever anticipates you running and, and maybe if you had a little bit something you liked a little bit more, you could get some more consistency and you like these gun runs. So if you zone read that and you make it so you take either a player out of the run fit because he's got to account for Sam or he goes and chases a running back who doesn't have the ball and Sam's got a wide open lane. These seem like good things. So, you know, I, I'm again, I'm not an offensive coordinator. I am not an NFL coach, but I've been around this game long enough and I, I know enough I've studied enough and talked to enough smart people to know like some of the options available on a big picture basis. And that's one that just doesn't make sense to me that they haven't used this year. And you're reminded of it yesterday as Sam finds the end zone again and has another pretty significant day on the ground. Number five. The uh the pick six. Yikes, man. I don't know whether that's bad play design and, and Wiley's not supposed to get a punch, or Wiley just kind of times it out and he's like i'm trying to get a punch trying to get a punch this guy's running away from me okay i leave now and he just figures he's out of the play and then and then he's not because he's very much in the play in fact he's in the throwing lane but that's just brutal and it's the kind of detail level mistake that either from a design flaw standpoint or an execution standpoint shouldn't be happening in the nfl it's also a ridiculous play by van ginkle to feel that out it's it's good scouting but that's another thing like you talk about the sequencing of play calls and there's a couple times in this game, some of it's third down, some of it's that, where it's like, you're predictable offensively. And if a team knows what's coming, it's way easier to stop. And whether it's a certain run, whether it's it's a favorite concept. I mean, we killed Scott Turner last year for running mesh on every third down. This team has some, some tendencies like that. And out of that formation and kind of that point in the game, they were due for a wide receiver screen. And Van Ginkle was all over it. Oof. Woof. Not great bob number six i don't know whether that one was on wiley but generally speaking the offensive line did not have a good day a couple of examples and by the way this is why it's so hard to talk about offensive line play as a whole is like on all these plays i'm going to mention it's like one guy now there are times where there's bad communication or multiple guys lose but you can have you know guys have really good like sam cosby had a good game yesterday it was fine nothing really to complain about with Sam Cosme's day. And for a lot of plays, most of the other guys were largely fine. You know, they they ran the ball well yesterday, so that should probably be mentioned as a positive for the O-line. But, you know, second drive of the game, first play. Um, four guys block it great, and Chris Paul just absolutely gets smoked. Bad, bad day for Chris Paul at the office yesterday. And it should have been an easy first down completion, and if I remember correctly, it probably would have been to Terry. And instead, Sam scrambles, and he makes a nice little play out of it. But your offense's ability to get going, get in a rhythm, and be on schedule is not there. 
because your offensive line can't hold up in key situations. Uh, the third down on that same drive is the Van Ginkle spin move, which is just, a again, a really great play by him, but also kind of a weird set by Wiley. It's a weird uh, rush uh, or protection plan where Bates swings the, the rusher way wide on a chip, and then Wiley fi- finds himself in like an awkward amount of space. He's got to do better in that. Um, you know, you give him the help of the chip, at that point, you got to protect the pocket, even if the pocket is going to be keeping the back door closed. Like, you got to figure that out. Um, and then there's a play later in the game, one of Terry's three targets, the one that they miss him in the end zone. Good play by Xavier and Howard. Sam's got to throw that up early, and maybe he's able to lead Terry to open space if he's got more time. But it's a blitz, and its I don't know whether it wound up being a true blitz or simulated pressure, but the defensive end drops out. The linebacker comes, and from a responsibility standpoint, Charles Leno is correct in looking at the defensive end, being like, that's my guy to block. But you let a guy, like, he's dropping, and you have a guy run right past you. Like, is that on the back? Is that on, uh, did Chris Paul need to slide? But, like, at some point, you need your offensive lineman to play a little bit, not outside of structure and scheme, because that gets you uh, in trouble, but you need them to make plays. And it's like, hey, I saw that that guy's dropping out. This guy seems to be going to murder my quarterback. I'm going to take a step to my right and declete him. That would be good. Instead, Sam takes pressure, takes a big hit, Terry's not able to make the play down the field. Good play by Howard. But at the end of the day, what happens if Sam can step into that throw? Can he dot Terry? Can he lead him maybe farther to the middle of the field in space? Is that a touchdown at a key point in the game when it's still close-ish? I don't know. We can't know because it didn't happen. Offensive line. Not good. Number seven. Speaking of not good. Um, this is the unscariest defense that I can remember watching in all my years here. They always had Ryan Kerrigan or Preston Smith or Chase or Montez. John has been here most of the time that I've been here. Duran, like they've had players who can get after the quarterback. They've always had someone floating around the back end who felt a little dangerous from a turnover perspective. They don't have any of that right now. And there's no pass rush. There's no playmaking. I mean, there's a play in the game. I think it's in the uh, second quarter. It's it's like two plays before the second Hill touchdown. Tua's back there, and he sees Jalen Waddell running deep on Benjamin St. Juice and Percy Butler, and he basically goes, bleep it, I'm throwing it. And he heaves it long, and he's trying to, you know, hope that Waddle can run past those two guys, and they do a good job of staying there and breaking up the play. But there's no fear it's going to be picked off. It's like, eh, double coverage, but those two those two guys are not going to make a play. So let's throw it, and maybe something good happens. Maybe we get a PI. Maybe Jalen comes down with it. Maybe they trip over each other. Who knows? But there's no fear, and that's a, that's a rough place to be. That, that ship is so sailed by now. Um... I don't really have a lot to say on the defense. And not, they're bad. I think they can play better over the final four games with the simplification. There was some stuff, believe it or not, that was better yesterday. But they just they played the worst team they could play in the whole league yesterday. And that, yes, the scoreline is a result of that more so than it is anything 
else. Number eight. If you want something positive, I think KJ Henry is a good football player. Their fifth round pick who was inactive most of the first part of the year because he wasn't as impactful of a special teams guy as Andre Jones Jr. He's obviously been getting way more opportunities since the trades and the injury to F.A. Obata and the injury to James Smith Williams. And he is showing that I think he can be a part of your rotation. And he he might be good enough to be a starter next year. He's not going to be a stud by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but just a very solid football player. And, you know, I, I remember talking to someone after they drafted him who was down at Clemson. And he's like, from a character standpoint, this guy's off the charts. The kind of like just core piece that you can build around. And kind of like James and Casey have been these last four years where it's, hey, these are really reliable guys that if we need them to start in a pinch, they're not going to leave us out to dry. They're not going to make a ton of plays, but they'll do the job. And you need, I think one of the lessons we learned from the Sweat Young experiment is you need a guy like that on your D-line. You need guys that will just rush the rush plan, not go out of structure, not freelance. And there's real value in structure so that other guys can freelance off of them. And so they need to get an impact edge guy this offseason, whether it's draft or free agency. No question about it. But I think KJ Henry might actually be the guy that they can play on the other side. If not, he's definitely, his floor is he's a part of the rotation next year. So that's nice. Number nine. Speaking of things you can keep for next year, if you want to keep something for next year for continuity, and I realize no fan wants to do that, but organizationally speaking, if you're Josh Harris, um, there is, and by the way, there is something to that, to have someone on the coaching staff, someone in the building who the players know, we're familiar with, uh, and, and someone who, by the way, is also familiar with them. So that when a new coach comes in, yes, you want them to be able to form their own opinions, but if they want to know like, hey, What's so-and-so like? What? How do I get through to him? Did not have to learn that all fresh to have someone with some institutional knowledge of the people around. Nate Katzer would be actually a good guy to potentially keep. Um, the, the commander special teams has been fine this year, uh, and they've done that despite a number of key injuries to key special teamers at varying times. Like Christian Holmes missed a long time. Next guy stepped up was fine. Like Quan Martin struggled immensely on defense. He's been a good special teams player. And I think the biggest one is obviously Jeremy Reeves, who was an all pro last year. And Terrell Burgess has stepped in and been fantastic on teams for them. Um, being that personal punt protector, uh, being a, a guy who makes gets downfield and makes plays. Like he hasn't been as good as Reeves, but like he's been solid. And you, from a, uh, a uh, production standpoint, you haven't given up big punt returns. You haven't given up big plays. And so... If you want to keep Katzer around next year, I don't I don't think that's a bad idea. And by the way, Reeves replaced DeShazer Everett, uh, and who was awesome before Reeves was. So there's there's clearly a through line of good coaching and, and good organization on that. And I think that there is some value in keeping someone who, by the way, knows more players than anyone else on the roster because that is the nature of special teams. It's up to you don't have to. It's up to the next coach. I'm not gonna throw a fit over the special teams coach. By any stretch. But if he winds up staying around, just remember this little nugget from this here first and 10. Number 10. Last but not least, and this is something we're going to get into as the week goes. The question of identity with with this team, besides punching bag right now, which is not an identity any team likes to be. You just kind of watch sometimes and you go, what are they trying to do? Like, what were they built for? Because they ran the ball pretty well yesterday, and like they drafted Brian Robinson, and they did all this stuff from a roster standpoint. Then they hired Eric Bieniemy and passed the ball more than anyone else. And by the way, they also drafted a bunch of receivers and spent money on Curtis Samuel. And it's just a non-cohesive roster. 
And I think that's going to be an interesting thing to follow this offseason is what parts of this roster stay, what parts go, in part because if you play a certain way, certain guys are a great fit, scheme fit potentially. You go a different way, a whole different guy or group of guys might also be very beneficial, but the, the Venn diagram of both uh, is, is a bunch of losses, and that's where the current team sits. That is our first and 10. 10 observations from the game, and this one, the Commander's ninth loss of the season. When we get back, Logan Paulson and I's instant reaction of the game from FedEx Field. Take command on a Monday. Michael Phillips joins us 5 o'clock. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app.